This is Michael Osterlink. Welcome to O Radio, where we explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. I'm a psychotherapist with a transpersonal and somatic specialization. I'm also a transpartisan social entrepreneur and the head instructor at SealFit's Unbeatable Mind Academy. Today's show is brought to you by Somatic Therapy Today, which offers a collection of articles and insights written to explore the relational realities and body-oriented psychotherapy. The editors call cutting-edge theories and modalities in the somatic sciences to share with a worldwide audience, while also providing a forum for sharing news and advances in clinical practice, research, resources, and policy. So please check out Somatic Psychotherapy today. I'm honored to have a conversation today with my guest, Serge Pringle. How are you doing, Serge? Hi, Michael. Good to be with you. It's great to have you. A little bit about you. You're a graduate of Francis Sorbonne University and HEC Business School. You're certified in focusing in core energetics and somatic experiencing, and you also draw from system-centered theory. You're also the author of Inspirational Fables, Bedtime Stories for Your Inner Child. Your approach is experiential and integrative, and you aim for deep insights that are action-oriented. Wow. You have a lot of great, great experiences, background, training that you bring to your work with your clients. So, so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. One of the things that I, I kind of want to talk about we can start with, and I, and I love this because we kind of engaged in a conversation prior to this, via email at least, is your interest in how your work, how you see, the lens you see through your work on the polarization in politics but I have to imagine it's not just politics. We have polarization in many of our interpersonal relationships. It's not just political, religious, uh, ethnic, national. There's lots of things that divide us into our tribes or into our individual selves. You talk about the reactive mind, uh, which is obviously core to part of the polarization issue that we're facing. So I'd love for you to kind of talk about from your work and your experiences you know, how do you see the reactive mind and polarization and what's the antidote? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, well, you know, first, um, a sense that when um, I talk about things that are beyond what happens to an individual or to uh, a couple or to a small group, uh, I'm out of my league. And um, um, I can talk about things that happen to individuals and to couples because in addition to having an understanding of it and having a theory about it, I actually have years of experience in working with it and putting these theories in practice and seeing how uh, seeing things through that perspective helps me help people change. Uh, when I talk about society, you know, whether it's politics or economics or uh, social issues, I certainly can have theories, but I don't have the practice of using these theories to make changes. And so uh, I have some humility about, you know, the value of what I'm saying there. Um, so I'm not saying it in the sense of I know, I'm saying it in the sense of, well, it's a very something that's very, very uh, intriguing in noticing the some similarity between what I do and what I know I can have an action and something which I also observe, I see the similarities, but 
I obviously don't know that I can have an action on. And the similarity is the reactive mind. You know, that sense of, so that something happens and, you know, the mind when, you know, we're in a dangerous mode, in a, in a mode of facing something that's dangerous, uh, we respond to it by going back to a very primitive way of functioning. You know, so the, um, the earlier layers of the brain of the nervous system are engaged. The more sophisticated parts of the brain that give us more perspective, more of a, a sense of the, the due diligence for it, uh, are kind of shut down. And what also happens when two people or more people are involved in a situation like this, uh, you have a process that kind of gets into a, a spiral. Uh, and more and more and more activated and more and more uh, of a taking to diametrically opposed positions. So when we deal with individuals, when we deal with, say, couples therapy, or when we deal with one person and paying attention to what happens in, in their relationships with other people, um, you know, it's relatively easy to, to deal with the variables and show that to people uh, so that they can, uh, you know, kind of shift from the vicious cycle of escalating turmoil to more and more safety. Um, can I ask you a question? Yeah. You use the term reactive mind. And listen, yeah. you talk about the brain, the mind, the nervous system. I have to imagine that you have a much broader view of the mind than just, you know, mentation. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, and since you're somatically oriented, you know, core energetic, somatic experiencing, focusing, you obviously have a much more broader perspective than just, you know, changing one's cognition. You, you work. Yeah. Yeah. But can you talk, can you talk about your, you know, kind of step back and talk about your definition of mind and how you bring in the body into this work? In yeah. This space? Yeah. So, you know, I think that uh, I like the question very, very much because I think where you're approaching it, is that you know we're not talking about the old dichotomy of mind body you know spirit on the one hand something that is kind of unsubstantial body is there and is organic but you know essentially um, you know we're I think of it in terms of process that even the body itself you know the the body is not just uh, the bones the flesh uh, it's a process because otherwise the body, the dead body, there's a very big difference between a dead body and a living body. And it's not that some kind of a soul has left the body to, you know, to, to, make, to make it go from alive to dead, but is the process has stopped, you know, or the certain process that's called life. So then the, the process, you know, the organ that's most closely related to the mind is the brain. But the brain is not all of the mind. The, the mind is, um, is our consciousness, is our unconscious, is how we, essentially the, you know, the, the, the process by which we apprehend the world and we regulate ourselves and regulate our interactions with the world. Right on. Good. Good. Very clear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So talk us, walk us through. So you let, let's use a couple as an example because I think it, it's much more real for people to understand because you know everyone's in a relationship of some kind, whether it's mm -hmm. romantic 
everyone has a parent of some sort, you know, so that everyone understands relationships to some degree. Talk us through a relationship. You know, you can use anyone you've worked with. Give us an example of you working with someone through their react through two people through the reactive minds, and what is the goal on the other side of that? Yeah. Well, so you know, um, anybody you know who's been interested in couples, you know, I don't mean therapists, you know, everybody basically who's ever paid attention to it has always you know come into stories, and so part of the the dynamics that you hear about is something like the dynamic that happens between, say, the pursuer and the fugitive. Uh, and um, um, so that's a very it's a very common perspective and so basically one person does something which is that you know they can't they they seem to always run after the other person and the other person seems to respond by by running away more okay Um, and such a dynamic is usually when you put two people like this it keeps getting exacerbated Um, now it might seem strange you say well why is it happening that way if you look at it in a in a from a functional point of view what's happening is there is basically some insecurity on both parts and you know that is normal you put two people together uh, it's not you know there's all kinds of friction there's all kinds of fears that we have about being close to each other and one person has a little bit of a predisposition toward uh, calming down that anxiety by trying to you know that the form that the anxiety takes is, oh, the person who is with me is going to, you know, kind of run away from me or is going to not be totally present for me. So assuages the anxiety, but kind of trying to grab. Now, the other person has a little bit of a fear that, you know, if I'm in a relationship, what's going to happen is I'm going to lose myself. And so uh, then when... Person A is anxious and tries to grab you. Person B is, oh my God, you know, here I'm losing, you know, I need to protect myself and I, I, I escape a little bit more. In the process of escaping, then person A is more activated. Say, well, you know, I'm trying to, to, to prevent this person from leaving and, and, and here, you know, he or she is leaving. And so the cycle broadens. And um, what's happening is what's uh, operative in both cases is fear. And that's where reactivity comes from. Reactivity is the response to fear. Okay. So let me ask you with that example you just gave, because I, I, I love your movement. You're actually going, you're, you, you know, you're going after the other person. And I think it's important for the listening and viewing audience to understand that you're both metaphorical and figurative. Like yeah. there is movement of the body towards the other person, but it's not necessarily chasing them around the room. No, it's, it's, you know, the, re, the, the, I, I guess. So actually, let me, let me just ask you this. So talk, when you, when you talk about someone's chasing someone else, the physical body is involved, but it's not necessarily really chasing them. Around. I think, I think that's a wonderful point. I'm so happy you make the point here because, uh, you know, I use gestures and body language to show clients the dynamic. And so, uh, yeah, as you, uh, and so because when you, you know, you see it that way, you, it, it comes to life. And then uh, it's easier to, to notice it in yourself. All the more so that sometimes, you know, you don't have, you know, certainly don't have the running around the room and the other person is not, but it could be the subtle gesture. Like, uh, you know, as this moment we're talking, 
And so as we're talking, let's say I move a little forward. And so I move maybe a couple of inches, but you are, say, looking at me, noticing the moving a couple of inches. You're not even necessarily noticing it consciously, but unconsciously you perceive this movement forward. And so as a reaction to it, even unconsciously, you're going to go a little backwards that way. And so if I have that fear of you, you know, running away or coming forward, that little dance that we're going to do, that's going to be so subtle, uh, is going to actually take, you know, be amplified in our brains, in our mind, in our consciousness. Now, would you also say, besides the actual physical movement forward and possibly the physical movement backwards, that I might also have other physiological responses, unconscious, perhaps my breathing gets restricted as my way of escaping or at least limiting the contact. Can yeah. You other, yeah. other besides besides distance. Other no, ways. besides distance, absolutely. So you know the the whole principle of this is that uh, we are, you know, we're not just a cognition that's separate from the body, but we are a whole organism, and we're not a whole organism that's an independent unit, but we're very much you know immersed in our environment. So just the same way as a tree you know, has roots uh, to draw stuff from the earth, has leaves to get the sun, you know, gets the water. You know, essentially, it's, it's, we're connected, we're, we're in constant interaction with our environment. And so the way we perceive a situation is essentially as uh, either something that is positive or something that is threatening. And at a very basic level, uh, our whole body reacts to it. So uh, you've had the experience sometimes of being in a place where something feels a little strange. You don't see anything, you know, in particular, but you're, you know, your shoulders are raised. You're kind of, you know, you know, what's happening, okay? And conversely, you've also had the experience of sometimes, ah, you know, and the ah is like, you know, the tension, ah. <sighs> You know, ah, and so your, you know, your your face relaxes, your shoulders relax, and that's whoa coming up, and and so that, you know, again, even if it's not very visible, um, is part of the implicit movement, incipient movement. Um, so that, when you work with a couple, yeah, you say you kind of amplify this so they can actually see what they actually do. Is this, is this like a mirror to, so they can see their reactive mind through the, their embodiedness? Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the embodiedness is, uh, the, uh, for instance, uh, in a couple that like, I like to do is to, to marry that sense of showing them the dynamics of showing, you know, I, I, I stand on one side and I stand on the other side to show one person does and the other so that the pattern becomes clear. And uh, in seeing the pattern, it's also clear that there is a dance, that it's not just one person doing something and the other is unrelated, but that there is a, there is a loop that comes and gets strengthened by one pattern reinforcing the other, and uh, connect that to the inner experience that each person has while being there. You know? And so that you, if you're able to see what you do, you're able to see it in context of what the dance is with the other person. And you're also able to see what is happening inside. 
then you have a lot of grip, you know, in, in which you can change something and explore it because you realize that that part of you, when it's there, is only a, a fraction of you. This is not all of you that's in there. That's you in the loop, okay? So it makes complete sense why you talk that you use an experiential and integrative approach. Yeah. That's, that's, this is really clear and wonderful. Okay, keep, keep talking about it. So you so, do process with a couple, continue. Yeah, yeah. So, so then uh, you, so you really, you really, you know, kind of have a sense of, uh, you know, the, one way to do that is to imagine, for instance, that you go, you know, there's in New York City, you have these rooms, these uh, stores where people go to smoke cigars. Uh, because we're not allowed to smoke cigars in the street. And so people go there and they're all smoking cigars together. And so you know, imagine that a cigar by itself has a lot of smell. And if you have all of these cigars together, what it would be. And so imagine you don't smell, you don't smoke cigars, but you go into this room, you, you, you hang in there for five minutes, you go out. And when you come out, I would imagine that you stink of cigar. Okay. Uh, so then that smell, you know, Michael smelling of cigar does not mean it's Michael in general. It's just Michael after staying five minutes in a smoke-filled room, okay? So the idea then is to experience, to realize that the experience you have at that moment is not all of you, is not the person, is not Michael, is not Serge, but is Michael or Serge in a certain set of circumstances, and you start to notice the coordinates, if you want, of that, of that, uh, that certain attitude, that certain mood. Uh, you know, the inner correlate and the correlates in terms of what the, the environment is. Okay. And, and so as you realize it's not all of you, then you be a little more curious about, well, if I tweak this and if I tweak that, what will happen? Okay, so in a way, just like in a physical dance, you know, if I change a little bit some of my pacing and some of the way I dance, I can influence my partner. And, and so from passive, you become active. I, I love the metaphor of dance. Uh, that's, I, visually, that's wonderful. You know, the way you, you talked about that, the, the word I use is we turn people into rocks. Oh, that's just who they are. That's their identity. Mm -hmm. And we do everything to keep that locked into place. And so they assume that's who they are. So they, they, they have no curiosity for attempting something different and we don't like them changing. So we do, you know, our little dance to keep them locked into place. That's just kind of my interpretation of some of the work that I do, but I, I love what I hear you saying, because you're saying we're not rocks, we're dancers. And yeah. we have curiosity. So we're not stuck. We can be playful. No. And in that playfulness, we can break out of these, these reactive patterns that I hear you talking about. Yeah, yeah. I love the dance metaphor. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So the the stuckness, you know, I, I like the word stuck, you know, because stuck is that, you know, you you just, you know, we try stuff and it doesn't work, and so we feel more stuck. We we uh, but essentially what we're doing is we're repeating the same thing, feeling that we try different things, but essentially we're still repeating the same pattern. You know, um, if I say something and uh, you know my partner doesn't understand it then maybe if i say it louder maybe they will get it you know just like you go to a, a country where people don't speak english and if you speak <laughs> louder maybe they'll get it you know yeah, yeah. Um, and and so the the thing is is it's really about deconstructing the situation saying well this is why it's happening 
And so once you de deconstruct it a little bit, then you, you have more of a sense of where you can have some action. So talk about that. So you help a clients, you help a couple see their reactive patterning and how it's not just one person, it's a dance between the two. So they become more conscious about their own inner experience and their role in interpersonally with the other person. Then, then what happens? So, so then, um, you know, I think before we talk about change, mm -hmm. there's something that, you know, the, the thing that makes change possible is not just the knowledge, yeah. you know, which is what that understanding the patterns is, but is safety. Uh, because all of these patterns are related to fear. Um, you know, the reason that we are reactive is because fear basically brings a sense of, you know, there is clear and present danger. So we rely on the more primitive parts of our mind and our, you know, to, to, to use the solutions that we have. And we have not necessarily examined of how well they work because there is a sense of the pressure of danger. And, and that's what reactivity is. So uh, understanding the patterns, but not having a sense of safety brings no possibility of change. And so, you know, what's really important in the therapy is to create a sense of, you know, safety and trust between the partners. And when seeing how each contributes to the pattern and seeing how the two fit, usually is a way that is deeply reassuring to people because they realize that, you know, it's not just one person who's bad, but, you know, there is, yeah, it takes two to create that dance. Uh, and that each of them, you know, genuinely wants something better to take place. And so there is a letting down, you know, that kind of that little movement that I do, Ah, because, you know, essentially there's always the fear that it's going to be, you know, am I maybe responsible for a big part or uh, is my partner really not wanting to change? When people see actually, well, you know, I'm not responsible for the whole thing and my partner also sees that they're responsible for something and want to collaborate and change, then there is kind of that sense of, uh, you know, relief and, and trust and with the relief and trust comes the possibility of playfulness. And Can I, let me ask you a question right, right at that, right at that spot. So yeah. people have that kind of aha moment where they, they see or they experience that the bigger picture, their role in it, their partner sees the bigger picture, their role in it. What I hear you saying is that gives the couple a sense of safety. And out of that safety, then they can feel comfortable enough to start experimenting. But I'm curious, do you, is there ever a time where you might introduce practices which increase that level of safety and decrease the reactive reptilian mammalian part of our brain, like breath work, as an example? Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So, you know... Um, the, the whole idea is once, once people become aware of how reactivity uh, is fueled by fear and uh, safety and trust, you know, kind of help change, then it becomes, um, you know, a, a joint endeavor to find ways in which they can, you know, foster the sense of safety and trust. And so it goes from behaviors 
ways of talking, things you do individually, things you can do together. But you know, in, uh, you know, absolutely breathing, uh, movement. But it can also be something very simple, like um, uh, you know, gently touching. Um, it can be something like um, uh, you know, just um, playing with distance, Good. moving a little bit. The two people are at a certain distance. But even though the distance feels right, you know, there's, don't see anything wrong. You know, try what it would be like to, you know, to just walk a few steps back and check with your partner how it feels and walk closer. You know, so all of these is a very embodied way of paying attention to not just, uh, you know, say breathing as the, the equivalent of take two aspirins and it will do an effect, but kind of a more, you know, holistic thing of noticing that, you know, there is a kind of a chain of cause and effect between what you do, where you are, and how you feel. Nice, nice. Okay, so you, you've created this space, this safety. Then what would happen in your, in your session? So a lot of it is actually um, that, um, um, you know, in a way, just simply building the place of safety okay. and, and coming back to it is in itself an achievement. Yes. So I, I, I like to, you know, of course we want to do some stuff, but in some way, um, being aware of how important safety is and knowing how to do it is a very, very important skill set because in the, uh, in, once people are out of the, the therapy room, um, it's probably the most useful skill set to recognize when they're not safe and to find a way to build safety in the face of discomfort. Uh, do you also work with tone and volume, like having them aware of how they show up verbally with their partner and how that might have an effect on the partner? Yeah, balance? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a sense of, you know, we're talking about, we're, you know, it's not say tone, volume, and uh, body language and everything else being isolated. Yeah, but is really, if you think of it, all of these things are, you know, symptoms or facets, you know, the, the image of the metaphor of the, the uh, different faces of a diamond. So all of these different things are uh, faces or entry points nice. into that whole gestalt, if you want, of how one person responds. And so uh, paying attention to all of these things, including tone and so on, not, you know, alone. For instance, I'm not so keen on just saying you don't shout or, you know, that kind of stuff, because then it becomes a, a question of um, uh, making some behaviors bad or good or paying attention to the external. But really, the more interesting thing is, oh, you know, uh, notice the impact that, you know, this has on your partner and notice what actually where it's coming from okay um and so then uh you have more of a sense of where it's rooted and how it's not doing what you want it to do right right and the combination you know realization of why it's not working and two it's well maybe i'm not dealing with what's really under it you know gives you more motivation to change it right on okay i love that yeah, and I love the idea that it's not just you know, creating safety is an end in, in and of itself. And the more what I hear you saying, it's an end in and of itself. And the more safety you can create between the couples, um, the, the less problem. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but 
safety is an end of itself and a means to other things that you're attempting to do, like the curiosity, the experiment, experiments, trying new yeah. things in the relationship. Um, so put, putting this, let's just assume for the moment that you've created some sense of safety and obviously you want more uh, over time. What other type of interventions would you do to, to instill curiosity and playfulness so the couple can try new ways of relating with one another? So, um, you know, there's, I could talk about some things that I actively do, but I think the, one of the things that I find very, very useful is actually uh, when people are in a place of safety and, uh, you know, some, somebody does spontaneously something. Oh, nice. Does, and, and it usually happens because that's the whole point is when you're safe, you know, there's something that happens and it could be very subtle. You know, my job is really to be there and observing what is, you know, and kind of reinforcing it. So it's, it's usually the norm that somebody does something very subtle that is a little different from, you know, that, say, the reactivity pattern. And, and I pointed out, and I pointed out, and I pointed out not just in terms of look at what happened, but, you know, inviting the person who did it to see what that experience was and inviting the partner to see what their experience was in doing and, and noticing that. And so, uh, again, what we're talking about is noticing what happens, relating it to inner experience, relating it to the effect it has on the other person, uh, you know, kind of also increasing their ability to notice it in real life. Because then, as I've pointed it out in therapy, you know, we've paid attention to it, then when it happens again in real life, they're more likely to notice it. And, and so to build from it, um, it's very possible. Otherwise, you can talk about safety. You can talk about doing this and that. You can talk about exercises. But then people have expectations of what it is that are big. You know, it's like it comes with a big neon sign and a glaring trumpet announcing it. And so this is what that behavior is. And actually, it's a very subtle thing. Sometimes that it's a root of it. So as people are able to notice it, to notice that they've done it spontaneously, it increases, you know, their motivation and their, you know, their sense of ease into replicating it more. So uh, listening to you talk, I, I have the connections to the socio-cultural political thing. Yeah. And you just gave me the explanation of how some of the work that I've done in the past is actually works. And just let me briefly tell you what it is. And I'd love yeah. to comment on it. So we would bring leaders, we do retreats, we bring 25 or so leaders across the political spectrum together in a very private setting outside of DC, professionally facilitated. We get to know one another. So we create new bonds. We, so what, what I like to say is we humanize the political process, mm -hmm. find common ground, and we create space for new ideas. And, and, and it just struck me listening to you talk, it's like, wow, just the environment that outside of DC, and it's usually a beautiful environment, it's usually in the mountains somewhere, yeah. really healthy food, you know, beautiful, you know, you know, just a nice environment, which creates safety. And then because it's professionally facilitated and we get people to know each other, it creates a sense of safety. So like, like you're describing to me that dance that we did at this kind of larger political, sociocultural level, which worked so many yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I love, you know, you used the word uh, when you were starting to describe it to say, you know, humanizing. Um, 
and um, and humanizing is the opposite of demonizing. And demonizing is when you reduce a person or a group to a very tiny something, an idea, an ideology, uh, something that essentially feels dangerous and evil. Yeah. Uh, and so that's polarization. Right on. And, um, and what you're talking about is something where, you know, first of all, the people have already accepted to be part of this. Nobody put a gun to their head. So there is a part of them that already is kind of willing to do it. You put them in a setting where, uh, you know, it's calming down. Uh, they see that the people who are there probably have similar intentions. And so there's already, you know, some of that, that similar uh, goodwill and sense of trust that comes from the two partners being in couples therapy and um, and and then you know kind of going you know beyond the knee-jerk reaction to finding safety so that you can go a little further right on yeah so you're you know you're humble and I appreciate that but your work is transparent I mean you you're you're you you might not work in this space at this time, but your work scales because yeah. we do. Yeah. I mean, we we don't necessarily do a lot of the somatic practices when we do these retreats, which is a shame because I think that would deepen the process a lot more. But just your framework is is pretty much what we've used. I, I didn't know you, but <laughs> <that's> <laughs> so, you know your work scales. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 I hope so. I mean, I have done work with with uh, communities, with uh, you know people at work, you know, and and, yeah. and groups, uh, uh, gatherings, but never work with something of people who come from uh, you know different, say, political horizons or you know ideologies um, getting there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like to say because when I'm asked, well, you know, the work I do in the policy space, I said it's it's family therapy. It's just a bigger yeah. family. <laughs> well, <laughs> Americans, if we're talking about doing work inside the, you know, inside of America. But yeah. I really appreciate, because, you, you know, you, you take a very somatic approach, but you also take a very systemic approach. Yeah. 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 You know, can you talk a little about some your writing? Because I know you've written books and you do some workshops, I believe. Yeah, I, I like, you know, I, I'm a very experiential person. I like to... Um, I think that, you know, I mean, I love to talk and I love ideas and I love to talk about theories and concepts, but I noticed that in general, talking about theories and concepts, it's pretty hard to, to make a lasting impact on people, you know, except say people who are in the same wavelengths have thought about it and then you have concepts and then they respond to it because, because they've been really thinking about it a lot. But otherwise, usually I find that it's experiences that change people. So I really like the idea of, uh, you know, sharing my experiences, transmitting my experiences in a form of, um, you know, creating a setting where people can have, um, can have an experience of it. And that's why I tend to do more experiential workshop as opposed to, say, talking. Um, and in terms of writing, I kind of like to do things where, you know, playing with words and pictures and something that, that gets a little bit more of the uh, um, kind of the, you know, the images, the, uh, uh, you know, the right brain involved, as opposed to simply following things uh, in, a, in a very intellectual manner. Okay. 
so where can people learn more about your workshops, more about your writing? How can people find out about your work if they want to work with you as an individual or in couples? So uh, in, for my, my work as a therapist, uh, proactivechange.com. So proactive change, you know, for obvious reasons, after you listen to it. <laughs> and I do a lot of uh, stuff of uh, putting forth ideas and so on, nonprofit, interviewing other people, or people who, you know, kind of promoting a sense of um, uh, what, you know, a good way of living would be uh, on proactivemindfulness.com. Now, where are you located? I'm in New York City. Uh, do you work with people at a distance, like if uh, via the web? Yeah, I have some. Uh, I have some clients actually that I work with on uh, phone or internet. On uh, okay, yeah, Skype. Yeah. Okay, excellent. So your two websites, one more time. So proactivechange.com is for my practice, and proactivemindfulness.com is for good ideas. Awesome. Thank you, Serge. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Michael.